Today's the 28th. I picked verse 4. Those who abandon God's teachings praise wicked people, but those who follow God's teachings oppose wicked people. Great. I love the book of Proverbs will just take you all over the countryside. It's great. Today we're in in, uh, the book of Jonah, and this is part three in our message series um, on Jonah, and uh, we've been actually teaching through the whole book. It's only four chapters. You can read the whole thing over a donut. In fact, if you don't gobble the donut, you could probably do it twice. So I encourage you sometime to just spend a few minutes in the book of Jonah and uh, uh, we're, we've been off this for a couple of weeks because of our plans for Easter, but today we're going to talk about the message that we need to proclaim. I want to pray over the word today. God, help us understand um, when we see in here that there is a parallel between Jonah and us, that there's something you're calling us to do and to be, and uh, there's a message that's, that's tucked in there that we're supposed to be sharing with people. Help us to get that, Lord, to see it, and to see that the miraculous supernatural things that are connected not to the messenger, but to the message, that those things can still happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I heard this story about this old codger who liked to go fishing, and he was out fishing and um, out by himself, and and, um, he was peaceful and quiet, and the birds were chirping, and from nowhere, he hears this voice, hey, hey, you, and he looked around. He couldn't figure out where it was coming from, and he just kind of just drifting and doing whatever you do when you fish, Um, and um, hey, hey, pick me up. And he didn't understand where this was coming from. And he finally, he noticed. He looked down in the water, and here's this frog. And the frog's saying, hey, you, yeah, you, pick me up. Pick me up and kiss me. Because if you pick me, this is a true story, okay? <laughs> Don't mock me yet. If you pick me up, I will turn into the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. And um, so... He's kind of taken back like you would be if it was happening to you. And uh, come on, pick me up. If you kiss me, I'll turn into the most beautiful woman. So he finally thinks about that for a minute. He gently reaches down and puts his hand in the water and he cups the frog and he picks it up and starts to shove it into his pocket. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Didn't you hear what I said? If you kiss me, I'll turn into the most beautiful woman. You will be the envy of all your friends. The guy thought about that for a minute and he says to the frog, you know, a man my age, I'd rather have a talking frog. (laughs) He missed the point completely. The the guy missed the point. We're in the second (laughs) half of the book of Jonah. And most people, when they read the book of Jonah, they fixate on the whale. Let's just call people who do that whale watchers, okay? That's all they see in the whole book. They're watching this whale. And they're like that old codger who's missing the whole point of the book. It's, you know, it's all Jonah, it's all the whale. It's, is it really possible for a man to be swallowed and come, come alive and all those kinds of things? Is it really possible? That's where people park themselves. And actually, it's a tiny fraction of the book. Whole story, um, is, the whale is not the point. In fact, there are only three verses about the whale. And the real story here in this book is that God gives second chances. And we're gonna see, he gives second chances here to a man and to a city. The entire population of Nineveh who were renowned for, for renowned for their wickedness. The entire population was given a second chance. Jonah, Jonah, who was absolutely 180 degrees in rebellion to God, was given a second chance. And the book of Jonah shows us how a man is used by God to bring about a revival in this city. And it's probably the greatest revival in human history. The, the, the whale, this whale in this story is a footnote. So, And if this story tells us anything else, It tells us that God gives second chances. One man who did what God asked him to do, which was preach the good news, changed an entire nation. 
And I really believe that in the same way, we too could have a, um, we've been called to preach to our country and, and those around us. We'll talk about that in a minute. And not only are God's orders pretty much the same for us, but the message is the same as well. Um, what's called, what you and I would call the Great Commission, Jesus, Jesus charged his followers, and we see this in Mark chapter 16. And he said to them, this is Jesus talking, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, by the way, I'll just mention this. I'm not going to camp out on this. You can ask me about this later. Um, but if you have... If, you, if, you're, if, you're, if your Bible is the NIV or the ESV or any of the, the more current translations, you, your, your Bible may actually omit this verse. In fact, everything in Mark chapter 16 after verse 8. And I, I will just make this comment now. I've made it before. This is why I trust the New King James Version for when it comes down to issues of doctrine. I use other translations and I put them up at times, uh, but there are some issues there with some of the other translations and I'm not going to spend our time on that today, but, but I just want to mention in case you open your Bible and hey, wait a minute, there is no Mark uh, 16. It's, it doesn't exist. Well, it, yeah, it does. So um, anyway, Jesus tells us we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we've got our marching orders just like Jonah did and we need to ask ourselves at some point, am I doing what the Lord is asking me to do. So let's pick up our, our reading back up in Jonah chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So I want to identify a couple of things out of this story from Jonah that teaches us, that, that teaches us about this. Number one, to reach our culture, we must preach the gospel. We've got to preach the gospel. Interesting here that God did not tell Jonah, the plan is you go to Nineveh and you be a good example. You know, I'll just live a godly life and people will notice that I'm different and when they notice that I'm different, they'll pick up on that and because of that, they'll want to get in a relationship with God. That, that is not what God tells us to do. Nothing wrong with being a good example, but that is not the assignment. God tells us to preach. Now, some people think the word preach means you got to yell because preachers have a tendency to talk louder than they need to. Have you noticed I talk in a nice, soft voice? <laughs> it doesn't mean you have to yell. It doesn't mean that at all. Preaching can be in a conversational tone. It, it can be in an email. It can be a post to your Facebook page, if you have such a thing. Um, I mean, but the emphasis here is not on the volume. The emphasis is on the content. It's on the content. Preaching is verbally communicating the message of the gospel. Okay, that's my definition for you. Preaching is verbally communicating the message of the gospel. And we've been called to do that. In our culture, I think too many churches have moved away from evangelistic preaching, from, from biblical teaching. But the early church was, here's what Acts says about the early church. It said they continued in the apostles' doctrine which is something that we should all be doing. Our churches are doing. So when Jesus, when Jesus started his ministry, he was a preacher of the word. Matthew 4 tells us from that time forward, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He, he in turn, Jesus in turn, uh, sent his disciples out and told them to preach. Matthew 10, 7, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, maybe you wonder, why preaching? Why that? The reason I want to tell you is that preaching is the primary way 
uh, God's primary way of reaching lost people. It's the primary way that they're going to hear and they're going to know about the good news. And it's important to note that preaching does not describe who. It describes how. Okay? I mean, if I was God, I probably wouldn't have done it this way. I would have come up with something way more theatrical. I don't know why I think that. I mean, I would think, you know, well, God could have done something magnificent in the heavens and we could see it or we could be written in the sky or, or maybe he could charge his mighty army of angels to go around the world proclaiming that um, God is who he is and, and, um, and do that. Or, or God himself could show up and say, hey, I'm God and you're not. That'd be a great idea. And then I started thinking that through, and actually he did that, right? He did do that, so way to go, God. But the primary way that God chooses to, to reach people is through people. And I might add, through ordinary people. I don't mean for that word to be insulting. You don't need to be a superstar. God chooses to reach people through us ordinary people. And um, most people think, I think on this topic, you'll hear me this, and I think a lot of you right now are, kind of, are already m- m- spinning up your, your Moses argument, your Moses argument, where Moses, God said, hey, I want you to go do this and lead my people and share this and do these different things. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And Moses said, uh, I can't do that, God. I'm not eloquent. I, I, I have, my tongue doesn't work right. I can't do this. And the message, the power is not in, in the, 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 the preacher, it's in the message. That's where the power rests. And uh, it's in verb- verbally articulating the gospel. So, okay, second thing that wanna, we can see from this is that we're to preach the message that he has given. God says, preach the message that I've given you. Jonah 3, 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. And it was the message that God gave him. You know, it's, it's a great thing to go through the word of God, right? It is a great thing. But it's a different thing to have the word of God go through you. I mean, it's, it's one thing, and it's a good thing to mark up your Bible. You're spending time in your Bible and, and in whatever setting, and you, the light comes on, so you make yourself a note. It's a good thing to do that, and I encourage you to do that. But it's a completely different thing for how your Bible marks you up. Do you get what I'm saying here? And so... We're to preach the message that the Lord has given us. And um, as Jonah preached the message that God told him, this message resonated with the people in Nineveh. And, and, and here's the thing. It's not for us to tamper with the Lord's message. It's not for us to in any way edit the Lord's message. It's really, really important. I think sometimes people think, well, okay, I'm going to leave this part out because it might offend some people, or um, I need to add this because whatever, it needs more. I'm saying, no, don't mess with the message of the scriptures. Don't mess with the message of the gospel. Our job is simply to deliver it. And it's for this reason. There is raw, explosive power in the essential message of the gospel. It's like, we're going to get to some scriptures that talk about this, but it's like when we know the gospel, and we want to share it, but we think, well, if I kind of just tailor it right now, it'll fit this situation if I just kind of tailor this a little bit. But that's not God's plan. And this is not a, not, this is not a rule-keeping literal thing. I'm just telling you there is something supernatural in the message of the gospel that we can only hamper by modifying it. So our job is not to make the Bible relevant. 
The Bible is relevant. We need to understand the Bible is relevant. And when I, I, I tell you, when I step into this pulpit, my job is not to persuade people. It's <laughs> not my deal. This is the word of God. I mean, it's powerful. My job, I mean, I heard it put this way. My job is to let the lion out of the cage. And the word of God goes to work. I know that the word of God will do what God wants it to do. He says in the book of Isaiah, my word will not return to me void. That means that, hey, there's stuff going on here. It's like, you know, God knows when to throw a fastball. He knows when to lob a nice soft one up in your wheelhouse. And he knows when to throw a curve. He knows when to dust you off the plate. When you're crowding him. Don't crowd God. And... Um, it will never return void. And I know we read, um, so let's talk about our context a little bit. We read, if you read through the Old Testament, there are a whole bunch of books that are named for prophets. There's all these prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Isaiah Ezekiel, and um, Elijah, and Joel, and just a whole bunch of them, a whole bunch of them. And then you get to this comment in Acts chapter 2 where Peter is talking, and he quotes one of the prophets, Joel, and he says, in the last days, your sons and your daughters will prophesy which I believe is happening, it happened today and we're happening. So I get this question from people. Do we today, Terry, have prophets of the type that we had in the Old Testament? You can get different opinions from different people. I don't know that we do. Um, but I do know this. God speaks to people through people. He does that. And a literal definition of prophesying is to speak for another and I think we can learn things from, from Jonah that would help us preach the gospel in our culture and in our setting. Okay, so number one, God's representative is usually an ordinary person. That's really good because that's who most of us are, right? Ordinary people. God seems to go out of his way sometimes to use unlikely candidates to do things, in part, I think, so that he will be the one that gets the glory. And he's not looking for flawless perfect people. For example, Elijah is a great example. He's such extremes. In one moment, he's um, on Mount Carmel, and he's having this showdown with 450 prophets of Baal, this big deal that happens with calling down fire. It's a great story. There should be movies. It's, it's, it's a, I think it'd be a great scene. And it's this wonderful winning moment where God's faithfulness is so evident, and, and Elijah's faith has got to be at its apex. It's, that's one day. It's not very far after that that, the, that he's cowering in a cave somewhere because Queen Jezebel has put a, basically put a contract on his life and he's cowering in the corner somewhere, afraid. One day he's on top of the world, the next day he's just got no faith at all. God can't protect me. And um, it's just like, and here's what James tells us. It, James chapter five, you'll see a comment in there. He says, Elijah was a man just like us. <laughs> just like us. I have a tendency to think I'm not even in that category. Don't you think that way? I mean, you have Elijah and Elisha and all the stuff they did. And, but James says, no, flesh and blood, put their pants on one leg at a time, just like us. And I, I think, you know, when we start talking in the context of sharing the good news and gospel, here's, here's another comment I would make about that. I, scripture kind of teaches us that the, the, the people hardest for you to reach are probably living in your home. 
if they're not already saved. You're, you know, hard, hardest your brothers and your sisters, certainly your parents, maybe even your children, um, people who are close to you. Jesus talked about how hard it is to reach people who are close to you. Here's a snippet out of Matthew 13. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogues so that they were astonished and said, where did this man, where did this man get, th- get, this wi- get his wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Yeah, yeah. Didn't he build our dining room table, mom? I mean, it's a good table and all that, but I don't know where all this has come from. That's what this conversation is. Uh, well, it doesn't actually say that, okay? But that's the conversation. Isn't, this the car- isn't the guy a carpenter? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man, this man, who's this dude? Where did he get all these things? So they were offended at him. <laughs> but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. That is mind-boggling. Even the Lord did not effectively reach his own family until after his death and his resurrection. You think, you know, you get discouraged because your challenges, the people around you that you're trying to share the gospel with. Jesus faced the same challenges. And Here's your advantage over Jesus. You don't have to die and be resurrected. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is working on those people that you love and you care about. And it's a supernatural um, plan. Amen. Don't stop. My point about all this is that a prophet is, is going to be someone who is speaking for God. And they're often a very ordinary person. Two, second point is God's representative is speaking for somebody else. The words you're going to use are not your own. When I was... Um, when I was uh, a, a little boy, I'll say a little boy, say in grade school, um, I stayed overnight with my friend, with a friend one time. He was uh, the youngest of a bunch of boys, and the, uh, his older brothers um, had a paper route. They all did this paper route together, and I didn't even know what a paper route was, basically. And so we went, did whatever you do when you hang out overnight, you stay up too late, we're watching scary movies at night, whatever. And for some reason, these guys were up at oh, dark 30. I don't know why we got up so early, and then I realized very quickly... All of the boys participated in the delivery. And so there was stacks of newspaper that they had brought into the house. This was in Spokane, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the city, in a city kind of setting. So streets and neighborhoods. And um, so all of them started an assembly line, and they were taking these stacks of paper, and they were folding them up and then sticking in these carriers. You know, there's like this thing that would go over you, and there would be a bag in the front and a bag in the back, and it was jammed full. And you'd walk along, and you go from house to house, and you don't go up and place it. You'd Bam, you know, you know, you, you know, you, you see it. I got the, you know. Anyway, so th- th- we were we were doing this, and um, we would, you know, you get out there and deliver the newspapers, and they would be sitting there waiting for somebody to have their with their breakfast, you know, early in the morning. We were delivery boys. Our job wasn't to make the news. Our job wasn't to write the news. The job was to deliver the news, and that's what you and I are. We're delivery boys and girls without the canvas thingy. We just deliver the message that God has given to us. And we realize it's his message. And if our message is rejected, we don't take that personally. And if the message is accepted, we don't take that personally either. 
You catch, catch me on that? I mean, I mean, for me in my role, I've been a pastor now for um, decades, and in that time frame, there have been lots of opportunities where I've been in this kind of a setting where I'm speaking for the Lord. I'm teaching his word. And, and in other private settings where I'm trying to do the same thing. And in that time frame, you can be sure I've been criticized and I've been insulted and I had people have lied about me and people have judged me for things that were, it wasn't right. And, um, and I accepted that because I choose to speak for the Lord. And Jesus tells us that there will be persecution. But I try not to take that personally, right? I'm not here to make you feel sorry for me. I'm just saying the point is that, that I'm, I, I have a deal with God. My obedience is to him. I'm responsible to lead and to, to deliver his message. What happens to it after that is his responsibility, right? Not mine. I don't take it personally when people do those things. I also don't take it personally when people respond. I don't go out and, you know, put a stamp on the side of my car door and say, okay, I shot down another zero or whatever it is. We, right? Can I say that in church? Okay, you get my picture, right? I mean, I don't have these, these stamps of notches in my belt. There, there are no notches in my belt. There shouldn't be any notches in anybody's belt for stuff God does. Okay, in other words, we don't take the blame and we don't take the credit either. That's number three. I'm a delivery boy. We give the message now the results are in the hands of God, and we don't take the blame, we don't take the credit, we just deliver the message. Number four, the true prophet, the true representative of God, recognizes that the results are up to the Lord. The results are up to the Lord, they're not up to us. Last weekend, um, Good Friday and Easter services, we had, it was a big weekend for us at Crossroads. We had um, just a touch under 500 people, 500 souls who, who visited, and you know, a lot of people get involved, and we do everything we can to achieve outstanding results. We, we, there were all kinds of people putting in all kinds of planning and all kinds of effort to make it good for guests to come, and a lot of attention to detail, and a lot of people, probably the most important thing that was going on, a lot of people behind the scenes were praying over and praying and just prevailing and listening to the Lord about the weekend, because we know our culture, that's when a lot of people will come to church. And, and, and when I get into the point where I do my minuscule part of the entire weekend. All these other people work hours and hours and I spend, you know, 30 minutes doing this and I, I realize it's God's job to save people, not mine. And all of the efforts by all the people, by the way, thank you. Thank you for serving and for making that it was a great weekend for, for, the, for the body of Christ. But we're just messengers, and none of us accept the credit for what the Lord does in the lives of people. That's just not our territory. We don't do that. And here's my comment about that. God does not require success from us. He requires faithfulness. Faithfulness. And ultimately, the Lord will say, well done, good and faithful servant to you. Your job, my job, our job is to deliver the good news and then leave the results in the hands of the king. So once Jonah kind of got on the program. He had this episode where he was kind of out of the Lord's will. But once he got on, got on with the program and, and, and got on with it, he got on with it. He didn't procrastinate. Let's pick up in verse um, 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah went and uh, arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Um, historians say probably a million people. Think about that for a minute. I mean, that's a huge... Um, the great city, 
a three-day journey in extent. It would take you three days of journeying to cross the city if you were, you know, they didn't have a subway, it was walking. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. <laughs> wow. Jonah had this very, very specific message um, entrusted to him from God. Now, sounds like he's proclaiming doom. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, except I think he's proclaiming hope. Because there are other cities that the Lord gave zero warning to. And it was just, I'm going to clap my hands here. It was just judgment. He didn't do that here. You got 40 days to turn. There's hope. There's a plan. There's, a, there's, there's so much to be gained. That's the message, really, that's coming out here. 40 days, though, is the limit. I'm not trying to rewrite scripture. This is a hope-filled message. 40 days. So I want to say here, with us thinking about his message and how parallel that is to us, turn to God. That's our message for people. How parallel that is, there's three characteristics of a true, authentic, and accurate message. Okay, number one, our message has got to be delivered with urgency. Urgency. Jonah cried out. You know, he's saying... God gave me a second chance, and he's giving all you people a second chance too. Now, when you give the message out, I'm going to ask you this. Do you care? Because people can tell if you care. When your heart, when your compassion are evident, it's going to speak volumes to that person. Jonah cried out, and he cared about these people. Now, you could make a case that he didn't care about them before. In fact, he wanted evil from them before. And you can make a case that later he wasn't too crazy about them either. But in this moment... He was fairly well motivated, and I think his heart was right. And there was this authenticity in Jonah's voice. He was a changed man. You know, the picture is this. I mean, probably this. Three days' worth of gastric juices. What do you suppose that does to your skin? This shriveled up, white-looking, overly ghoulish, scary, right? Okay. And he probably didn't smell like Old Spice. Okay? He probably smelled like, I don't know. You go buy some fish and leave them in the garage at about 100 degrees for three days and take a whiff. That's what, the, you know, I don't know. I've had people say, yeah, he probably had seaweed hanging off. I don't know. Creature from the Black Lagoon. But he's not polished with his teeth whitened here. Okay? He's, he's looking pretty bad. And still, his message overcame all of those flaws. And he was authentic. Authenticity speaks to people. Okay, second point. Our message has to be clear and definite. Clear and definite. Any child can understand the message that Jonah is delivering here. Delivering 40 days and then overthrow. Our Lord taught about children. He said in, in Matthew 18, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I love talking Bible stories with my granddaughters. Um, it's, you know, they, they become engaged. They want to read them. They want to talk about them, and they listen. And, and, and maybe they get a little distracted because they're little people. I get distracted. I'm a big people. Um, but when I'm trying to talk to them about some of these things um, and bring it to their level, it's interesting. You know, Grace is five, and she's reading now, and one of the things she's reading is the Bible. And so... The, this is completely nothing to do with it, but, I, but she, she comes to her mom and she says, Mom, what does the word slaughter mean? 
I don't know what you, how you tell a five-year-old. Anyway, they, they listen to the stories of the word of God. They're little, five and three, but they get it. They get it. They get the stories and they get the message. And, and I, so, so, okay, my point about that is the Bible is, and particularly the gospel, is not simplistic, but it is simple. I think far too often we try to overcomplicate it. We, we add things that don't belong. We, we want to take things away that we think should not be there. And we should just proclaim, you know, the message in its simple power. I think, I think sometimes we feel like we need to persuade people. We have to, uh, you know, um, give some sort of a compelling case. That's not our role. The Lord has already engineered the message and with the Holy Spirit in combination, it's doing exactly what it needs to do in the hearts that hear it. I, 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 I believe that it's perfect in its pristine and perfect form. We can only mess it up. <laughs> so if we're careful, the best we can do is not mess it up. But it's powerful and it's effective. And that's the Lord's plan. It's the message. And he wants to use ordinary people like you and me to do it. Okay, so how's this work out? Let's see. Jonah 3, starting in verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. I just want to stop right there. Pro- proclaimed a, f- a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. Then the word came to the king and he arose from his throne. Listen, I'm not going to read this whole passage, but basically the entire population opened their heart and said, God, I want to be right with you. I want rela- right relationship with you. The entire population, from the oldest to the youngest. And catch verse five. So the people of Nineveh believed God. It doesn't say that they believed Jonah. <laughs> they believed God. Do you catch that? And the greatest revival in the history of the world came to Nineveh because Jonah preached not what the people wanted to hear, but God's message. And they believed God. God could have wiped them out without warning, right? But in his love and his mercy, he warned them. He gave them time to repent and, and gave them this final opportunity. And we're effectively doing the same thing when we share with people the gospel. We don't know what the, you know, Psalm 139, we don't know the number of days. God knows them all before any of them even started. But we don't know the number. But when we share the gospel with people, we're basically the same thing. Turn, turn to God. Turn to God. John 3.16 sums this up. You probably know John 3.16. I'm going to stick it up on the wall. And I think be, this would be a good moment for us all to read it out loud together. So let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There it is. That sums up the whole gospel right there. It includes this message of love for God so loved the world that he gave. And it includes this warning of judgment that whosoever believes in him should not perish. That's implying that if you, if you don't believe the message, you're going to perish. But, you're, but, but that's not going to happen to you if you believe. It's very hope-filled. Romans 6.23 is basically the same. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Same message. And in that same message, the wages of sin is death. That one starts out with the warning. And then there's the love, the forgiveness. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. You know, we're, we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, Mark 16. So let's talk 
a little bit about that message, although we've just kind of gone over it there. Uh, and and not, we've gone over Jonah's, but let's talk about our message, because I think most people think they know what the gospel is, but I wonder. I wonder about that. Um, here's a provocative statement, which is my opinion. Okay, this is my opinion. I think most Americans have never heard an accurate, accurate um, presentation of the gospel. And you might go, Terry, you're kind of nuts. There's preachers everywhere. There's people saying, you know. Still, I don't think that most people have heard an accurate presentation. If I only tell people God loves them, I've not given them the full gospel. If I only tell people that God wants to judge them, I've not really given them the whole gospel. There are elements that have to be in place for it to be the gospel. You know, if you want to make a chocolate cake and you decided to not include any chocolate or flour, but instead you decided to substitute liver, oh. you can call it chocolate cake. You can put a label on it, chocolate cake. It won't be chocolate cake. It won't go down well. It won't come up well. <laughs> Certain ingredients that have to be there for it to be a chocolate cake. And the same is true for the gospel. The word gospel itself means good news, right? You, you knew that. But most times, before I can fully appreciate the good news, I have to have the contrast. I gotta know what the bad news is. Okay, that's part of the deal. If I don't tell people, the bad news part of it, as well as the good news, then I'm guilty of maybe offering them a different gospel or a counterfeit gospel. Paul comments about that in Galatians um, chapter one. He says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in grace, in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which, which is really no gospel at all. Um, but there are some who trouble you, people who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. What's that mean? It means they're adding things to the gospel that don't belong there. So let's break it down. What's the gospel? Okay, let's start with the bad news before the good news. Here's the gospel. A couple of easy points here. Number one, we're all sinners, which separates us from God. Every one of us. Sometimes we're sinners in ignorance, but most of the time it's by choice. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God probably have heard that one. First uh, John 1 John 1.8 says, if we, ha- if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. God gives the Ten Commandments, right? You think, okay, well, the Ten Commandments, there finally, there's a list of guidelines that we can all live by. Actually, they already had, th- they were not new. Th- those were not new at that time. The people already had rules. They already knew right from wrong. There was all kinds of things. What, what do the Ten Commandments do? They're really a mirror to let us see that we can't keep them. That's really what the Ten Commandments, that's really what the law is all about. I'm not saying ignore them other than that. We need to. But the Ten Commandments pretty much opens my eyes and closes my mouth. If you, and if you've committed any one of those, violated any one of those, Scripture tells us that you are guilty of all of them in James 2. And I, I know some people would say, and I've heard this within the last couple of weeks, on this very topic, talking to someone who needs the Lord. I'm a good person. I, I live a good life, and I believe when I get to heaven, God's going to let me in. And depending on the measuring stick that you use, they really are good people. 
I mean, I, I, get, I get what they're saying. So, so when we say, when we Christians say they're not good enough, what we're saying is that, um, that what we're saying is, we're not saying that they're not good people. And there's this deal in Romans 3 that says, there is none righteous, no, not one. We're not saying, even in spite of that, that there are no good people. We're saying that in God's eyes, there are no, there are no people who are good enough to satisfy his standards. God set a standard very, very high. He said, be holy like I'm holy, not Terry holy. He said, be, be holy like God is holy. We can't get there. We can't get there from here. And that's the bad news. I'm a sinner and I'm separated from God. Here's the good news. Romans 5. Christ died for us at a time when we were helpless and sinful. But God showed how much he loved us by having Christ die for us even though we were sinful. Now that's a paraphrased version, but it very, very effectively communicates this, this truth. God sent his son to die for us while we were yet sinners. It's easy to do nice things for people who are really cooperating with what you think they should be doing. It's a whole different thing to absolutely bless the socks off of someone who is being vile and against you. <laughs> That's what he did. And I've seen far too many gospel presentations that just leave this out. They just don't tell a person that they're a sinner because they're afraid it's going to offend them. You know, let me caution you about that. When you avoid that part of the truth, you really risk offending God. It's the gospel. We've got to tell people the whole truth. Plus, people who don't see that they have that need, I'm a sinner, people who don't see that aren't going to be open to the good news part of the story. They don't, they don't need a savior. They think they're already good. They think I'm good and I don't need Jesus. And what the end result is they're hopelessly separated from God. It's a terrible situation. But the good news is that Christ died on the cross and, and that's what every presentation of the gospel needs. We need the cross. It's Christ and Christ crucified. So, and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son for us. And more to the point, Jesus is the only way. The only way. Jesus himself said in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Peter echoes that exact same thought in Acts 4. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. Paul says it in his letter to 1 Timothy. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. That particular scripture gives the Catholic Church all kinds of grief. I, I don't mean to be picking on, but that this is why we don't offer to have you come and confess to a priest. There is no mediator between you and Christ. You get a direct, direct audience with the Lord. Praise God for that. Man, that is so good. So it's back to the cross. Died, Christ, Christ died on the cross. And, and so to wrap up this tidy package of the gospel, number three, Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he was raised again on the third day. Charles Hadley Spurgeon, who is this, you know, preacher, famous preacher from London, who most preachers that I know lean into his commentaries and his teachings, and just a great guy. 
asked, was asked by one time to describe the gospel. He gave an answer in four words. Christ died for me. Well done, Charles. Charles Hadley Spurgeon. You know, that's a name, Hadley. A lot of people aren't picking anymore for their, killed, their children. We need a dog and we'll name him Hadley, honey. How would that be? Okay, she says, yeah, she wants a dog. It's good to want a dog. It's not good to... Anyway, I'm not going to talk about it, Catherine. Okay. Um, that's why... <laughs> it, there's just power. There's just power in the message of the gospel. And as we wrap up, that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross, cross of Christ should be made of no effect. He's basically saying, don't, add, don't dilute to it by adding to it or subtracting from it. Don't add your wisdom. Don't add your street smarts. Don't try to make it more relevant. It's already relevant. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. That's what makes it miraculous. You share the gospel with someone and it's foolishness to them and the Holy Spirit turns it upside down in their heart. And it's a miraculous act. It was for me and it was for you. If you know the Lord, there was a miracle that happened in your soul. And it's when that foolishness became life to you. Sometimes in our attempts to be relevant, we just don't always tell people the gospel truth. And we, that's what, this is what we need to get back to. This is what we need to share. This is what we need to do. The simple gospel. Well, Terry, what if they ask me a question and I don't have an answer? Well, do your best to answer the question. If you don't know, don't make up an answer, right? Say, I'll, I'll look into that and help you figure it out. But, um, but, but here's the bottom line. Give them the gospel. Just give them the gospel part of it. Tell them what Jesus did for them. Tell them about the fact that he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave, that it was, that it was because he loved us. And it's proof of how much he loves us. Our, our job, our calling, is to be delivery boys and girls. You can do that. And when you do that, people will be changed. I think more than people will be changed. I think our, our culture can be changed. I think our nation can be changed. I look at what happened in Nineveh, and I ask myself the question, is God talking to America, and is America listening? Let's start with the gospel. And this all happened because a man got right with God. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, <laughs>